This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. The first pitch on its way. Swing and a line drive left side of the infield. Fielded by Wendell. He made the catch! Rays win! Rays win! Rays win! And they're on their way to the American League Championship Series as they knock off the New York Yankees 2-1. to one. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. Just a swing and a drive, hit well on the air, towards right. Mookie Betts going back to the wall. Gone! A first-inning homer for Randy Arozarena, number 10 of the postseason. It's one nothing Rays. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Good afternoon. Welcome to our show as we move to Saturdays for the final three weeks. Today, we'll visit with Adam Conley and discuss his unique journey. Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times will join us to review the week gone by. We'll visit with prospect Tommy Romero about his hot stretch on the mound. Kevin Ibach will discuss scouting in September, and we'll chat about the Blue Jays with broadcaster Ben Wagner. Well, we continue on this week in Rays baseball, and our feature guest this week has one of the more interesting paths to get to the Rays, and is really doing a nice job in the bullpen as well, and that's Adam Conley. Adam, thanks very much for a few minutes. Of course, Neil. Thanks for having me. Before we touch on your path and how you ended up here, can you first touch on how much fun you're having right now with this group? Yeah, it's been awesome. I mean, you know, it's one thing when all your teammates are guys that you can get along with, guys that are kind of focused on the same thing, but on top of that, we're winning a lot of baseball right now, so I know that that's why everyone's here, the staff training staff strength every everything involved here right i mean we play this game because we love this game and because we want to win we're all enjoying it right now and winning a lot you spent all of your professional career with one team one organization the marlins before this year let our fans know how you ended up coming to the race in the first place i actually originally thought i was going to be a ray so the Rays in 2011 had 10 of the first 60 picks. So, I mean, just mathematically, you know, I thought I thought I'm going to be playing for the Rays, you know. I kind of expected to be a high pick and all that, whether that was in, you know, naivety or whatever it was. But, I, you know, I thought I was going to be one of those guys. Turns out that I was drafted by the Marlins, which um, is a time that I'm just very thankful for. Um, I Two days after I got married in 2011, I moved to Jupiter, Florida, so that I could be there in the complex and working out and training and everything right there in Jupiter where the Marlins were. And uh, like you said, I mean, I, you know, I spent, uh, I thought I was going to be a fish for life. You know, I spent the first 10 years of my professional career there with the Marlins. And then long story short, getting coronavirus in 2020, missing the majority of that season, not having pitched that whole year, then being in a playoff push and all that. Again, long story short, all the rule changes, all the things that happened, um, I got I, I got designated late uh, last year. And because of the date that I had been taken off the roster, my understanding was is that I wasn't eligible to pitch in the postseason. So I'd missed the whole regular season. There was like three weeks left of the regular season. I wasn't eligible to pitch, pitch in the playoffs. So in other words, I, basically I knew I wasn't going to get traded for and I knew I wasn't going to get claimed. So that was basically the end of my season. I became a free agent. 
because I had a bad 2019 and because I missed all of 2020, I thought uh, the lowest risk kind of best career move for me would have been to go overseas, experience uh, playing baseball in Japan with my family, going over there and competing and playing a season, kind of proving that I'm healthy and good, you know, ready to go, kind of all that. And then I, my intention was is to come back from this, a season in Japan and be able to sign, you know, a major league deal here and, and continue playing on here. Uh, again, coronavirus closed the borders in Japan. It came about later that even though there was an exception made for the players to enter the country, their, their families were not. Uh, and for me, that was just never part of the deal. I was never willing to go to Japan without my family, just with all the uncertainty of everything going on. And so I was able to uh, get released from that contract. We called the Rays. They sent two area scouts to come watch me throw a bullpen. They offered me a contract the next day, and I signed it. And three days later, I was in Port Charlotte. And then? <laughs> facing hitters for the first time in nine months or something. And then on to Durham, and then eventually uh, to the Rays in the latter portion of this season. So obviously things panned out. Why did you pick the Rays? Why did your agent say, okay, this would be a good spot for you, rather than them coming to you? Yeah, so so like I said, the circumstances I was in were very unique. In free agency this offseason, we actually uh, were never offered a contract or anything from the Rays. This is an organization that I've been told and that I've learned from experience since being here that there's very much like a method to the madness. Like they they very much are convicted and believe in a certain a certain uh, formula, a certain way that they can be very successful. Not only this is really what was really a surprise to me was not only at the major league level, but really at every level of baseball within the Rays organization. There is a way that they do things, and so they've obviously labored and done a lot of work in in scouting developing drafting players that fit uh that fit in that right so the the organization from top to bottom is loaded loaded with talented players loaded with uh high character players that are very skilled at a certain something (laughs) that the rays believe they can kind of plug in there right to make this uh make this whole thing go and they've obviously been very successful at that so again long story short when it was going to be uh, apparent to me that I was going to get released from this Japan contract and not go overseas, my agent actually reached out to me and said, I know and have a good relationship with some of the front office over there in with Tampa. And he thought that analytically and just their creativity to be able to really just squeeze ability and talent out of players, we thought would be a good fit for me. And then on top of that, just loving my family, wanting to be, wanting to be close to home. If I was going to play in the States, being in Florida was just another huge plus for us. Um, so we we reached out. I threw the bullpen and and got signed from him. And so far, everything's worked out really well. And you've touched on your family a couple times. You have four kids, ages two through eight. How challenging is that? Because that is a rarity at your level of Major League Baseball to have already four children and grown, you know, and growing up and trying to balance all that. Uh, I always say that by God's grace, you know, when when a woman gets pregnant, the baby isn't born that day. <laughs> you know, you get you get nine months of preparation there, and then you know when you talk about having a, you know, having a two year old, a four year old, a six year old, an eight year old, you know, we've kind of <laughs> we've kind of worked our way up to that point. You know, so it, it hasn't always been this way, but um, we've really just tried to be faithful to love our children well, raise them well, love each other well, and even in the midst of all the uniqueness of playing baseball for a living and travel and all those things, really tried to just do the work. To really make you know to make that uh, possible for us, you know, to do that well. So my my wife is very gifted, a very very uh, hard worker and a faithful lady, and she she homeschools the two oldest, and 
Um, when I go on the road, she takes them back home, and they're involved in the community and in church and, and with the other ladies, and the kids play with the other kids. And we just try to be very intentional um, and sometimes creative. <laughs> sometimes creativity is necessary. But we've tried to take advantage as well of the uniqueness of baseball. So, you know, being in the NL East for a long time, I remember, you know, when we would go to, like, Washington, D.C., you know, the kids would go to the monuments. They'd go to the museums. They'd go to the children's museums. They'd go to the... When I was in Durham, you know, they're going to the Eno, Eno River Park and looking at the sawmills and looking at all the old things, you know. And So we just try to use, you know, the, the, the circumstances that we're in, you know, to just be fruitful for everyone, you know. And, and my wife has done such a tremendous job just in, in ways of uh, really of making this whole thing go. You know, if she, if she couldn't do it the way that she, you know, that she does do it, uh, this just wouldn't work for us, you know. And so we're just very thankful for her and for all that. How much does this fit as a family organization? Because we always hear from outsiders who come in for the first time that they feel like this is part of their family, too. Yeah, I mean, I can't say enough just about how helpful um, in every regard uh, the Rays have been. And I, I do truly mean in every regard, um, just in terms of what I should be focusing on from a career standpoint, all of the all of the help available to me from the training staff from just all the facets of being a baseball player. But to me, you know, and I think a lot of the guys are this way, the guys who have who've been playing professional sports for a long time, we're kind of used to, we're kind of used to grinding, you know, we're kind of, we're kind of used to adversity. It's kind of really the guys who have been able to survive that best are really, you know, usually the guys who make it, uh, make it up to this level and play for any length of time. So, you know, there's a measure where I'm, I'm so grateful to have good information and to be well cared for. But for me, I would say even more so for my wife and for my children to be well cared for, for them to be, you know, to feel comfortable, to feel, um, I guess that's just the best way to put it for them to just be to be comfortable and, and, you know, well taken care of under their circumstances, because, yes, it takes a lot of sacrifice to be a baseball player. Yes, it takes a lot of work. Yes, it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort and resources and all sorts of things that it takes. But I've always in my mind felt that my wife was making the greater sacrifice. So for her to do well really is is the priority. The Rays have, have been outstanding in, in us accomplishing that. And certainly. If you're doing well, though, it obviously helps the overall picture. What have they told you that's maybe different than the way you looked at things before? And how is it helping you? Because you're performing really well. Yeah, I think, I guess to flip a coin, you know, is it is it more frustrating or is it more refreshing that the information that I'm giving and the focus of, of playing baseball is so much simpler, it seems, ever since that I've gotten here, that it's like... You don't know if that should make you angry that you've been overthinking it and, and doing all these things all these years, trying to make things, you know, trying to do something in such a particular way that you're, it's almost like trying to, you know, crack this uh, unsolvable puzzle or something, right? The game is, it's kind of a moving target, right? If you look at it that way, you know, the Rays from the beginning, they've looked at, they've used uh, resources and, and uh, you know, staff and people to really, I think, paint me a clear picture of what my goal is, what it is that I'm trying to do and then worked very specifically at at accomplishing that. So I guess just, you know, the target that I'm aiming at now is just very clear and it it, it doesn't move. <laughs> so I've just been just been very uh very encouraged and you know the goal the goal that they've given me and, and what we're looking at and what we're trying to do has just been very simple. Um and as as I've kind of journeyed and, and worked at uh improving at that all the time, um they've been a great encouragement to me and just uh, very affirming and very uh, supportive and and helpful, you know, in in doing those things, and so I guess it's just kind of a both and, you know. It's I guess it's just a, a right view of what it is that you're trying to do, and then doing good work to to achieve it. What I've always heard is that the race are simple. It's saying here's what you do well. So what do you do well, and what are they having you stay focused on? You know, I, th- I think in the I think in the past, you know, I would have given I would have probably tried to come up with a really 
you know, detailed answer and tell you all the things that I think that, that I do well. And I would say I throw the ball fast, my ball moves a lot, and I can throw it over the plate. <laughs> There's some, I guess, way that they think that that fits in, and they've let me run with that and encouraged me to continue to do that. And I think the beauty of the whole thing is I think that beyond that, I don't think too much about it. You know? <laughs> well, the keep, keep it simple approach is what has worked for the Rays. For all the analytical talk about this organization, there is kind of an old school approach too. And you mentioned at the top the fact that they focus on winning. As someone who wasn't able to get to the postseason last year with the Marlins because of the circumstances, what would it mean here in your, what, 11th pro season to get to the playoffs for the first time? You know, I think back even beyond my professional career, you know, I've, I, won, I won a tournament as a kid or something, you know. I won the league in high school or something, you know, which then, I, you know, I didn't win state or anything like that. But, you know, I look back basically at my whole career really have never – never won a championship, never won uh, anything. And so um, for me, I think being, you know, when I was growing up, I wasn't, I was usually the smallest, slowest, weakest kid on the field. And so that really forced me with such a love for baseball and pursuing baseball, really even, you know, out loud, I was saying at seven years old, I wanted to pitch in the big leagues like Randy Johnson. So this has kind of really been really my whole working life. And even really my whole childhood was really about attaining this and playing here not just to do it, you know, but I was good at baseball and I cared about baseball and I loved baseball. And, you know, when I was, I remember being 18 years old and Mike Thurman, with, uh, who was with the Yankees at the time, I don't know what he's up to nowadays, but um, came and met with me and asked me, you know, as kind of an interview or something before the draft and all that stuff out of high school. You know, he asked me if I, you know, what, which was it? Did I, did I like winning more or did I hate losing more? You know, and for me, it was that I hated losing more. I expected to win. And so to be on this journey for such a long time of my life, and to be pursuing this game and trying to be as successful at this game that I, as I can, and up to this point, not not playing in those you know October games, those playoff games, um, you know, to me, I think more than anything would just seem like such a such a sweet opportunity for me that I would just have to say I'm grateful if I have that opportunity. You know, I'm, I want to be as useful to the to the Rays as possible. I want to help them win as many games as possible. And so, really, at this point, whatever at this point, in my career and everything—I mean, whatever it is that they're asking of me to do—to help them be a part of doing that, my answer to that's yes. I'd love to be a part of that. Well, here's to that going forward. Lots of success for you, the team, and your family too. And we certainly appreciate some time to get to know you a little bit on this week in race baseball. Neil, thank you very much. I appreciate it. That's Adam Conley, and we'll continue right after this. You're listening to the Race Baseball Network. Well, we continue on this week in race baseball, and time now to take a look at the week gone by. And joining me from the Tampa Bay Times, of course, the man who covers the race since the beginning, Mark Topkin of the Times and Topper. If I would have told you back in March, the Rays will have 92 wins with two weeks left to go in the season and an eight-and-a-half game lead in the East, and the best record in the American League using nearly 60 players, what would you have told me? I would have said, Neil, as usual, you're off your rocker. No, it, uh, look, this is this is obviously a surprise season. This was the season the Yankees were going to be a super team, and they were going to win 100-plus games. Uh, the Blue Jays were going to be ascending. The Rays were going to be that cute little team that's going to be maybe just good enough to win a wild-card spot, and, and no one really knew what to expect from the Red Sox. And this turned out to be a lot different year in a lot of different ways, and showing the dominance the Rays have shown. I mean, a little rough start, a little slow stretch in the middle there, but, what, since the middle of the season? So, uh, Neil, they've just been arguably the best team in the American League. They certainly have the best record in the American League. 
Uh, they've handled just about every challenge that's been presented to them despite a slew of injuries, uh, a litany of adversity, and, and here they are, as you say, sitting in prime position to, to maybe clinch a couple things in the next few days. Yes, and can do it at home in front of fans, and last night was a nice moment in front of fans at home. Where did last night, the, the comeback in the ninth inning and the, the Phillips walk-off in the 10th rank, for you in terms of some of the special moments this year? Uh <laughs> Excuse me. I mean, I think arguably one of the most special moments. I mean, certainly the beginning of the season, even though attendance was limited then because it was the first time back in front of fans here. And uh, there were a couple things early in the year and there have been some walk offs along the way. But I think just when you combine where we are in the season, how lost that game looked. I mean, sometimes you come back in a game that you have a chance. They didn't really have a chance last night. That game was pretty much over and done. And then you add the Brett Phillips spectacle to it and, and kind of, I call it the, the four-part celebration he had last <laughs> night. And I know I've seen you do some of those moves there. I've never seen you climb up on the backstop and grab the netting. It's usually one or the other with you. And um, just, just to see the joy he had. And, and look, I, I, I've used this line before, and it, it came from Tom O'Connell, Brett's agent. But Brett growing up here, going to Seminole High, I mean, I, don't, I think this is true. And Brett, uh, Tom said it first. No one loves playing for the Tampa Bay Rays more than Brett Phillips does, and I think we see that time and time again. Yeah, it's certainly hard to argue. But you wouldn't say he's the team's most valuable player. On a group that's had nearly 60 guys, we're getting close for the baseball writers to naming that later this week. So for you, who are you deciding between right now? Because there are a lot of choices. Well, your your first question in this interview was, what would I have thought if you had told me 92 wins and eight and a half game lead and all that with two weeks to play in the season? I would have gone a level higher had you told me that as the baseball writer's vote was going to come down most likely to Mike Zanino or Andrew Kittredge for team MVP because <laughs> I don't think we could have had a long, long pre-spring uh, training or preseason meeting and, and gone through categories and, and guys that you think would be the candidate for that. And some years we do that. We write down and put them in an envelope. We didn't do that this year. But I don't think Zanino nor Kittredge would have been on that list, and, and I think those are both – really legitimate and viable and certainly worthy candidates. It's just been that kind of year. And, and, you know, Mike Zanino, what he's done, not just offensively, but defensively and understated. And Kevin Cash does a good job pointing this out all the time, being a former catcher. I'm sure there's some allegiance there. But the job Mike Zanino has done learning and adjusting and welcoming and making things easier for all these new pitchers. Some of these guys who've never pitched in the big leagues before, some of these guys who've never been in this division before, some of these guys who've been put into different roles, and he makes them all look pretty good out there. With Joey Crable coming today, the Rays basically have had three pitching staffs on one team during the course of the season, so it certainly speaks to it. What then is the greatest strength of a team that has put itself in this position for this year when you consider all they've had to deal with? I mean, look, I think the biggest surprise in in totality for this team has been the offense. I mean, this is a team that's always been pitching and defense. It's always been the DNA. It's always been the key to success. It's always been the reason they win. It's always been how they build their team's run prevention. The the run differential number has always been a big thing. And usually, as Andrew Friedman used to say when he was the GM here, ultimately you just have to win by one. But this team has been the most potent team in the majors since the middle of the season or so. They lead the majors in runs scored. This isn't like a mirage. This isn't... They scored 20 once and then have five games in a row of one or two. I mean, their number of games with eight-plus runs, especially since Nelson Cruz got here, is like about half their games. I mean, this is a team with an explosive, diverse, versatile, deep, varied. We could go through the whole thesaurus here. There's a lot of things this team does offensively to score a lot of runs. So I, I think that's the biggest strength. I would put, if you wanted an intangible answer, resiliency up there too because the amount of comeback wins – 
you know, the 44 come from behind wins and the number of times, even some of those are when you're down one nothing and you score two in the second inning. But a lot of those have been coming. I think there's nine games where they've been down three runs or more from the seventh inning on. They've come back and won. Those are legitimate comeback wins. No question. So then what is the greatest concern? Is it getting a healthy Wander back and also getting Nelson Cruz? Is it the pitching? What's your greatest worry? I think it's the bullpen, and I know you know Kevin Cash and, and I and some of the other media members. We've talked about this over the last few days, and you know, is the bullpen tired? He doesn't think it is. He thinks that that glitch like last week, that little rough spell in Detroit and, and Boston, and even into Toronto, was more guys just making some bad pitches, some guys being used maybe a little differently. But I think that's got to be the biggest concern because the starters as they're set up right now, this isn't last year's staff. This isn't Morton, Snell, and Glass now, where they're going or at least capable of going five, six, or seven, and maybe being subject to what the matchups are. This is a staff that if they get five out of any of these starters in the postseason, and that's assuming it's going to be McClanahan, Rasmussen, Patino, I'm not sure we know yet where Yarbrough is going to fit in. I'm not sure we know yet where Walk is going to fit in, if, if Shane Boz is going to end up here, any of that stuff. But I, I think just how they're going to use these guys, you're going to see four and five inning maybe max from the starters. So that bullpen's going to do a lot. Now the postseason schedule this year is back to normal. Mm-hmm. There's off days, so they can do that a little better than last year where they played every day. But that's still, to me, the biggest concern, the bullpen. Okay. So then what do we have coming up tomorrow in Ray's Tales and Ray's Rumblings <laughs> that we're going to be reading in the Tampa Bay Times on Sunday? Well, since you asked, uh, Mike Zanino, talking about him, the season he's had, it's just been remarkable. And I kind of went inside the numbers a little bit and, and went a little statty here for you, and a, a little nerdy maybe. But just some of the numbers he's done, I mean, for, among other things, he has a chance to match Mark McGuire as the only player to finish a season with more homers than non-homers. So that's one of the more interesting things. The other story is just on the resiliency this team has shown in all their comeback wins. Obviously, it's been a really, really impressive run for the Rays overall, and we certainly look forward to reading Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times tomorrow. And uh, Topper, uh, looking forward to a postseason. It looks like it's we're in pretty good shape for that, too. I think so, Neil. And, and I don't know how your uh, celebration mode is going to be You know, after you get done with all your interviews, but this could be a busy week for everybody. And uh, Getting to do this in person. What a treat. Getting to do twerb in person with Neil face-to-face here in his suite, in his office, in his recording studio. 2021, definitely different than 2020. That is Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. Before we continue, why don't we pause for station identification. This is the Race Baseball Network. WTAE St. Petersburg, W237CW Pinellas Park, WBTP HD3 Clearwater, W224BE Brandon, and iHeart Radio Station. Well, we continue on this week in Rays baseball, and time now to take a look on the minor league side. And a guy who's had a terrific year for the Rays this season with uh, both Double A Montgomery and now Triple A Durham is pitcher Tommy Romero, who now joins us. Tommy, congrats on a terrific season to date. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Also, tell me what it's meant to you to have this kind of year, and what do you think has allowed you to have the kind of season that you're having? You know, I think uh, I think when I had the time off with COVID, I I got time to really sit back and take a break and reflect over just what I want to work on while I had all the time off. And I, I really took advantage of that. So I think that has that plays a big part in me coming into the season strong and just really wanting to show that I worked hard in the, during COVID. Tell me how winter ball helped you, because I know before this year, you were one of the few raised minor leaguers who did get to play in winter ball. You were in Puerto Rico and won a championship. Yeah. So I think, I think winter ball helped a lot. I think facing older hitters that just have a better just better approach at the plate and just getting to be facing the better competition. I think that helped me and prepare me for this season just with the hitters that I face here. You had put up really good numbers prior to the pandemic. You were, what, the MVP of the Florida State League team in Port Charlotte. 
but you've put a bigger strikeout numbers this year. I think it's like 135 punch outs in 100 innings. What has allowed you to get more swing and miss? I think just getting in better shape and being able to throw harder and really focusing on my breaking balls. My, I, I think I've always had my fastball with me, so just I really focused on getting my slider and curveball to where I needed them to be, and I, I made it work, and the results have been a lot more strikeouts, so I'm happy about that. So tell me what the pitches were like before the pandemic and now what they're like. Are they different velocity-wise, shape-wise? Give our, our listeners a feel for what your slider and curveball look like before and after. I would say before my slider was my slider was around like 81, 83 with not as much horizontal movement as I'd like. And my curveball also low 70s, mid 70s. But now now I'm getting my slider up to 87 with uh, a lot of depth, a lot of horizontal movement that I want. And then my curveball, I'm getting it up in the 80s now. So just both are a little faster and a little tighter. And I think that's what's doing it for me. You touched on the fact that your fastball is a really good pitch, and I've heard a lot about that. Give me a feel for why your fastball is such a good pitch and so hard to square up. I'm honestly not sure. I just know that I can. I like throwing it, and I know I'm just confident with it, and I can hit my spots, and I'm just I'm just super comfortable with it. I don't, I don't know the analytical reason behind it, but I do know just that the confidence I have with that pitch is – it just makes it the pitch that I love to throw the most. The Rays have had guys in their system who've had really good fastballs. And again, we're chatting with Tommy Romero in this week in Rays baseball. You know, they had just traded Joe Ryan, who had that kind of rise at the top of the zone before he got hurt. Colin Poche was a guy with that top of the zone fastball. Is that where you use it mostly, or is it something you use all over the strike zone? I like to use it all over the strike zone. I definitely get the amount of swings and misses at the top of the zone. But when I work low in the zone, I get some takes. I can move the ball in and out really well. So I like to, I like to use my fastball in all parts of the zone. What overall have you feel you've improved the most on, Tommy, during the course of the year? Where do you think you've gotten uh, you know, most improved? Honestly, I want to say mentally. I think, I think base, like everyone says baseball is it's all mental. And it, it really is. Once I got called up to AAA, I... I was. I just didn't believe that I should have believed, like been here. I, I knew I was pitching well in Double A, and I wanted to get out of there. But once I got up here, I just I let the game just get too quick on me. And I think once I slowed my mind down and said it's it's the same game, it's nothing's different. Just go out there and pitch your game, and I, and that's when I started getting success in Durham. Also, how much of that has also helped the fact that you've got such a great team around you? I know they won the Triple A title in the East uh, Division this year. Um, and I know how much talent is there because we've seen a lot of it this season. Yeah, no, it, make, it makes it so much easier coming in here every single day with the group of guys we have. It's, this is probably the most fun I've had on a team, and just getting welcomed by them so quickly was it was the coolest thing. What's Rick Knapp been like, the pitching coach in Durham, and how has he helped you? He's awesome. He's he's helped me just mechanically just kind of stay back a little bit longer, keep my head straight to the target, and whatever he's done to help me has is, is helped, so... I can't thank him enough for that. And I know the other cool thing about this organization, Tommy, is that there are so many talented pitchers, and they compete against one another, but compete to help one another. What's the camaraderie with, let's say, you and, and Brent Honeywell and Shane Boz and Tobias Myers, who I know recently got moved up from double to triple A, too? Yeah, no, everyone, it's, we all, we all build off each other. We all know that we can be number ones on this team. We're, I think we have, I mean, I think we have the best starting staff in all of baseball. And I, we, I definitely do like building off of each other's starts. I see Shane Boz pitch and have 10 strikeouts and Toby pitch has 10 strikeouts and Brent. And I just, I don't want to not be the guy that doesn't, doesn't hold my, my end. You're a, a Florida kid who was drafted originally by Seattle and then traded to the Rays. 
being in your home state organization, what has it meant? And um, do you feel with the kind of year you're having that you're that much closer to you fulfilling your dream? I do. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I love I love knowing that I could be in Tampa and my family and friends is all all pretty close to come up and watch the game and just everything will be closer. And yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. I'm, I'm really happy with myself with how I performed this year. And I'm just, just want to keep it up to get the call. And since you didn't get a full season last year, how do you feel physically now that you're over a hundred innings? I feel really good, actually. I'm excited to, to go back and start preparing for next season, but I do feel, I feel really good right now. And I'm excited just to finish the year strong. Well, Tommy, congratulations on a terrific year to date. Uh, best of luck uh, the remainder of the season. We appreciate some time on This Week in Rays Baseball. Thank you, Neil. And that is Rays pitching prospect Tommy Romero, now 6-2 and two overall this year with a 287 ERA and, as mentioned, 135 strikeouts in just over 100 innings. Yesterday, Rays pitcher Ryan Yarbrough was honored on the field for being the team's Clemente Award nominee, and I asked Ryan what that award meant. It's very special. You've kind of seen not only around the league, but especially the guys who have gotten it through the Rays and all the work they've done around the community. It was something that, at least what I've said with everyone who's asked, is that it's not something that we were necessarily like thinking was going to happen. You're just trying to help your community out in any way possible. I know that's been very important with my wife and I, and just doing everything we can to help, especially with us both being pretty local here. So very blessed to have this award, and at the same time, just really excited to continue to give to the community. Why is it meaningful for you to help and want to help in your community? It was just something that I feel like we were both were raised on, just to help people out whenever possible. And I feel like it, for us it seems like we can do more and we're going to try to. And it just seems like one of those things where you're just trying to do the little things. And I feel like the thing that we've realized over the years of doing everything is the little things always seem to go a long way. And they're not overlooked and very appreciative. So to kind of get those reactions when you're just trying to help out in any way possible is always incredible. What's a little thing that has stood out to you? The, the school supplies have always been great. But I think it was when we dropped off the coffee last year at St. Joe's. And it was just like for us, it was just a gesture of saying, hey, thank you. Like we didn't think it was just going to be like, thought it was going to be one person from the hospital saying thank you so much and taking it inside. And the amount of doctors that were out there and were excited to meet us and just so thankful for just a little thing like coffee and pastries for something when they're doing so much at the beginning of the pandemic, that really stood out to me. And just something, like I said, little gestures like that always seem to go a long way. You matched MLB's grant to the Boys and Girls Club in this area. Why and why is that organization particularly important to you? Especially with what we've been doing, reading with the Rays and with the Boys and Girls Club, is we were lucky enough that through the nomination we were able to get the $7,500. But we understood through... Uh, Boys and Girls Suncoast, which is here on this on the St. Pete side, and then the Boys and Girls Club Tampa, which we we live, that we didn't want to just leave one way or the other or split it, so we wanted to match it so we could personally have both receive the full donation. And uh, we're going to be doing some other things as well, dropping off some backpacks and stuff like that to kind of go on top of it. Tell us why Boys and Girls Club is an important charitable organization for you and, and for Nicole. It's just one of those things we're giving kids an opportunity, and especially with over the years, maybe not in the last couple with the pandemic but we were able to go to the actual boys and girls clubs and interact with those kids and just understand the smiles that we were able to bring just by being there and spending time with them was really powerful and that was our first choice right away after being able to do these things with them that they were our first choice good stuff from ryan yarborough again he was the Rays clemente award nominee and congratulations as well to nelson cruz who received that nomination from his previous team the minnesota twins coming up the Rays, kevin eibach on scouting in september plus toronto broadcaster ben wagner on the red hot blue jays that's tampa bay's next opponent you're listening to this week in Rays baseball 
on the Rays Baseball Network. We continue on This Week in Race Baseball, and joining us right now is Kevin Eibach. And Kevin, I don't want to quite put the cart before the horse, but you guys have to almost prepare that way from a scouting standpoint. So how many teams are you scouting at this point as you get ready for the possibility of a postseason again? Thanks for having me on, Neil. Um, yeah, that's a great question. I know preparedness is something that we pride ourselves on here and in, in, on the pro scouting side. And uh, certainly when the, the calendar turns to September, we have to be prepared for all scenarios with the postseason. So as superstitious as we all are in, in the baseball world, we have to get out ahead of it and, and make sure that we're scouting all the teams that could possibly be opponents for us uh, in the postseason. So right now, obviously, you have teams like the Astros and the White Sox uh, who are leading their divisions and, and, and warrant live looks. But we also have a pretty crowded uh, wild card picture right now and fortunately three of those teams with the Yankees the Red Sox the Blue Jays we have a a lot of games with every year in the American League East so there's some amount of familiarity there but we're definitely on top of of scouting those groups in the American League East along with uh, Seattle and Oakland out west just kind of putting us in line for any any potential matchups we may face here in the next coming weeks. So do you have multiple scouts cover each team how do you divide it up and the fact that you face Houston and New York in the final week do you put less emphasis on those teams or no different well to that end I actually think that we probably put more emphasis on the Yankees in Houston because scouting can be twofold it can certainly be for the the postseason experience and, and advancing for any potential postseason games but again as you alluded to Playing them the last few weeks of the season or the last week of the season, it serves two purposes. Uh, It also allows us to get out in front of those matchups because those could be crucial games down the stretch that would uh, lead to positioning, lead to a chance to make the postseason. So, you know, during the regular season, we have scouts out out there in the field that are really focused on trade candidates, um, you know, through the July trade deadline. So being able to help our, our major league team prepare for, you know, games down the stretch and then obviously the postseason is something you know that, that we pride ourselves on this time of year. So with Houston and New York specifically, um, you know, we want to have multiple people on those teams uh, just because the amount of games we'll play in the regular season and potentially postseason. When the playoff picture is not that clear, unfortunately, we're a little spread thin among the rest of the teams. I mean, it's kind of day to day. I talk to my scouts every day and make sure that, hey, what I'm telling you on Tuesday might be different by Friday, just depending upon what the standings look like. So everybody has at least one of those teams right now. But as we as we narrow our focus down the stretch, those singular looks will become teams where we have two to three scouts per team really bearing down on the postseason. And again, as you get closer to having a, a better understanding of who you're facing, I'm sure that plays in. What types of things are you looking at when you do preparation? And do you look at any... Triple-A rosters in case there's, I mean, look at you with, with playoff rosters, you can call somebody up at the last minute based on your, your 60-day IL situation. Are you looking at potential guys there too? Sure. As it relates to AAA, we actually started um, scouting heavily uh, a lot of the AAA teams um, that might be affiliates of, of postseason clubs. So we did that starting maybe a week or so, give the guys a week off after the trade deadline, and then got right back at it and, and specifically honed in on the AAA uh, teams. So we've been doing that for over a month now. As far as the, as the major league teams go, yeah, we're we're just keeping in touch every day, making sure that we see things that maybe cannot be picked up via video. Technology has come along so far in the 20 years, 21 years that I've been doing this, 
that a lot of our video scouting efforts, you know, can be pretty complete from afar and we can watch a lot of video, we can slow it down, we can see a lot of things. But at the end of the day, you're at the mercy of what's being filmed on camera. And that's what we had to deal with last year in 2020, where we were not allowed into ballparks is all of our advanced scouting efforts all the way through the World Series had to be done via video. So there are certain limitations to that. So when we do have live human beings in the ballpark in the month of September preparing for the postseason, it affords us the opportunity opportunity to go out and see what's happening off the ball. You know, we can focus our eyes on everything that's going on and not be at the mercy of a, of a camera view. So those are the type of things that we focus in while we're actually in the ballpark is anything that you might not see if, if you're sitting at home and watching on TV. Kevin, without giving away company secrets, what are those things that you're looking at? Is it cutoffs and relays, defensive positioning, how well guys communicate? What, what types of things can you pick up? Yeah, I, I think you hit on a lot of that. It's it's watching, you know, how the outfielders set up. It's watching how they, you know, how their first step looks, you know, where they tend to take balls off the wall. It's on the, it's on the infield, where positioning, where guys line up. And, and I think that, you know, cutoffs and relays, as you mentioned, is something that a lot of times the, the camera feeds uh, may be showing the runner running around the base instead of the actual exchange on a feed. So, you know, really anything that it's, it's actually an art. It's one of those things at home as as a fan, you're probably watching the action that is shown to you on the big screen and, and very, very rightfully so. But for us, it's everything that happens up until that point. You know, even even the pitcher on the mound, you know, a lot of times you'll have split screens or you'll be focused in on just the center field camera. That perspective from 15 or 20 rows up behind the plate really allows us to see the game from a different angle and seeing it more from what a what a hitter might see, you know, rather than what a center fielder might see. Kevin, you face the Yankees, the Blue Jays, the Red Sox 19 times in a regular season. There's a lot that can be gleaned by the coaching staff from that head to head. How much of what you guys do, do you go back and look at stuff to see if, okay, were we as good with our scouting reports? What can we refine if there is a postseason series in the way we attack versus how much was execution when things did go well or didn't go well? Right. I mean, I know it's very cliche to say this, but communication is key. And, you know, Jeremy Sowers in the front office um, handles a lot of the coordination of our communication between our, our my staff on the pro side the coaches, the manager in the clubhouse. So it's it's basically, uh, it takes a village, so to speak, just to make sure that we're all on the same page. There's going to be questions that come from the dugout, questions that come from the clubhouse um, that can guide us in what we need to be looking at. So we certainly want to be aware of questions or adjustments that might have been made throughout the season. You know, because at the end of the day, we're all here to, you know, to be resources for Kevin Cash and his staff. So it's very important to make sure that communication you know, is is fluid and that we're having that on a daily basis with with everybody that's inside the clubhouse there. In addition to anything we might pick up on our own, I mean, there's a fine line between being biased about what you might think you'd be seeing and what somebody might tell you to look at versus what you might just pick up going in there blind. So I think there's a there's a nice little balance that has to be struck between, um, you know, not being biased with your with your previous looks and any sentiment from the clubhouse, but also knowing what to look for and what might be particularly helpful to our coaching staff. Is this a more difficult year because of the fact that you've got eight teams in the final couple of weeks vying for these five spots? 
Yes and no. I mean, obviously, it would be a, a, a hell of a lot easier for all of us if we knew exactly who we'd, we'd be playing, you know, if we're fortunate enough to make the postseason. And if the if the field was narrowed down to just a couple teams, the more teams that are involved, the, the more spread thin you are. But I also think, you know, a lot of the lessons learned again from last year and COVID and 2020 was we had to do all of this remote. And, you know, it certainly makes it a lot harder when the only looks you can get are via video. And very proud of our staff last year and the, and the effort that we put in that allowed for us to get a lot of information at the clubhouse during our postseason run. But definitely happy and, and fortunate that we're back in the ballparks live this September to be able to provide even that much more information. And what from last year has helped you this year, do you think, Kevin? I think it's just familiarity with the staff. And, you know, I always say this, I've mentioned this several times before, but being out on an island, so to speak, is, is, is what we do in scouting. And we're often in our own little area and we're not in the major league clubhouse on a daily basis. So just gaining familiarity with Kevin Cash and his staff and that group, you know, I think helps from both sides. Kevin and his group really know the strengths of certain scouts. And, you know, we may have a few scouts on staff that are really good with uh, picking up tips with, uh, with pitchers. And we have other staff that are really good at uh, the run game. So I think the more that our staff is familiar with our scouting group, and the more that our scouting group is in tune with what our staff wants. The first year that we did this in 2019, after you know several years without making the playoffs, I think there was more trial and error in that year compared to where we are you know, at this juncture, where now we've been fortunate enough to do this for, for several years. And that familiarity that's, and trust that's been gained on both sides you know, is, is definitely helpful for us moving forward. Well, we certainly appreciate uh, some time on this week in race baseball. Lots of luck on the, the scouting front. And hopefully you'll find a couple of tidbits that'll help the Rays win an extra game or two in the postseason this year. Appreciate it, Neil. And that is the Rays' Senior Director of Pro Scouting and Pro Personnel in Kevin Eibach. Now joining us to discuss one team the Rays are scouting is Blue Jays broadcaster Ben Wagner with, of course, Tampa Bay facing Toronto again this week. Ben, the past three weeks, the Jays have been the hottest team in the sport, so what clicked? Well, I think it was a combination of a couple of things, Neil. Uh, first and foremost, the offense got hot again. And not only did it get hot, it got very long because a number of guys were able to get it going at the top of the lineup, the return of George Springer, even though he's had sort of mixed results, anytime George Springer is in that lineup, it backs everybody down a spot. So you've got Marcus Simeon second, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who's performing at an all-world pace once again. Bo Bichette has thrived in that cleanup spot. And then you get to Teoscar Hernandez, who's one of the best hitters and underrated players right now in the American League, maybe in Major League Baseball overall. And Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is down there somewhere in the six or the seven spot flipping things around, not only on the card again for the top of the lineup, but any time that he's hot, somebody else seems to perform well around him. And it's a cavalcade of characters uh, with Jake Lamb, Corey Dickerson, Alejandro Kirk, sometimes Danny Jansen, depending on what the catching scenario is. So the bodies are changing around there. But when Guriel gets hot, one of the guys that have been cast into this platoon role seemed to come up with a big hit at some point. And that has made the Blue Jays lineup thrive. But more than anything, this rotation and pitching staff has been outstanding. And it starts with Robbie Ray. Jose Barrios is right back on track. Steven Matz is having an incredible second half. And while the offense gets a lot of the headlines, you talk to people in the dugout, 
It's the pitching that gives them an opportunity to come up with those big hits and not play catch up night in and night out. And as you know, when when your pitching staff is rolling, the offense feels a lot more comfortable and can just do what they do, and that is attack, look for pitches to do damage on. And that's where the Blue Jays have thrived. I mean, it's, it boils down to those two things. They're deep dives in each of them, but the starting pitching has been so consistent in, in logging innings, and that's benefited everything around the Blue Jays and why they have had success. On that end, I know that Jose Barrios left earlier than he would have liked his last start. How is he doing health-wise? And are there concerns about any of the five in terms of health down the stretch? The health is always going to be a question. Of the five, absolutely. We'll start with Jose Barrios, who had that little abdominal tightness. I talked with him after he made that start the very next day, and he told me he went through his entire routine like he would after a day of starting. So he went. He still was able to go seven innings in that in that start and he didn't feel the abdominal thing until the very last moment uh, so that was encouraging they shut him down right away and it was not a heavy workload for him that afternoon but the more more encouraging thing was the fact that he got back out there on Wednesday did all of his throwing routine did his weighted ball routine and I talked with him and he said like normal I feel like normal and now he had the off day as well right after that so all systems go for Jose Brios as we sit here and have this conversation, which is really good news. Other injury concerns, there's a lot of concern around Hyunjin Ryu. I mean, that's just the way, uh, unfortunately, that you have to look at this. You know, a guy that's 34 years of age, he's had shoulder problems, he's had elbow problems, he has had uh, a really inconsistent month and very similar to the June that he had as well. And some people in the organization that I've spoken with said, you know what, we, we're just going to have to see what we get with him. Some days he's going to be that razor sharp fastball changeup command guy. Other days, maybe the fastball command isn't as sharp. Maybe the changeup doesn't roll out of his hand and you hope that he can have another pitch to back it up. This has been a big learning season for Hyunjin Ryu versus where he has been. Uh, 2020 was interesting, as we all know, but in the first couple of months, you know, he was a guy that was uh, leaned on and leaned on heavily. Definitely was. If there's a one-game playoff today, Ben, is Robbie Ray the de facto guy who pitches in a wild card game, or is it going to really depend on who they have to use these final two weeks if they're to get to that wild card spot? No, the Blue Jays have three different scenarios, and with uh, two off days. Well, we had two off days, but there's one more off day in there, plus the emergence of Ross Stripling that could jump in or Thomas Hatch come up from AAA. There are three different scenarios that the Blue Jays are plotting out. And to shift guys around in the rotation and use either a Ross Stripling or a Thomas Hatch from AAA, you could dump one of those guys in there and shift some bodies around. But right now, the Blue Jays have it lined up where Robbie Ray goes right into that Tuesday matchup. There's another scenario where there, if you have to get in, you could pitch Robbie Ray on that Monday for a 163. But right now the Blue Jays have it lined up where Robbie Ray gets that wild card game. And that's the absolute answer. <laughs> that is, and that's the absolute answer for the Blue Jays right now because there is nobody better. Do they have to worry at all about the number of innings he's pitched at any point? Because this is unique and he's done so well and he's been so good. Is there any concern at all about him slowing down even just a tad? No. And I brought that question up a couple of times over the year and to Robbie and to the organization. The innings is incredible, you know, that he's been able to log. But what they're watching is the individual starts themselves. Do they sense that there's fatigue within a given start? Are they watching the fastball velocity? Sure, that's where it starts. But the Blue Jays are very, very, very invested in high performance and sports science. 
So they've got stretch tests, they've got durability tests, they've got strength tests. They're, they've been tracking this from a baseline all the way since the beginning of the winter. And credit to Robbie Ray, you know, making sure that his body was ready for this workload. And this is the ultimate goal for him. This goes back all the way to November. He signs as a free agent on the very first day of free agency. Rolls the dice a little bit. He definitely rolled the dice a little bit, but he found a comfort level and he had a plan. And it started with a -a two-a-day workout plan, almost like he was a football player going through two-a-days. He would wake up early in the morning. He would do a high-intensity, heavy-lift weight training. His kids would get up. He'd play dad for a couple hours, and then he'd be right back in the gym doing high-intensity workouts. So it's a combination of what he was able to do to get ready for spring training, go through spring training, build up a pitch count, and then have this miraculous, uh, really miraculous turnaround over the last couple of years. But this is a product of Robbie Ray getting himself ready for this long haul. And September and October is where he's prepared to have his end dates. That's where he's been able to attain it. Obviously, from from a Blue Jay standpoint, he's had an incredible year. I mean, him, Marcus Simeon, Vladdy Guerrero Jr., the three most valuable players, not necessarily in that order for Toronto, as they fight with Boston, New York, et cetera, for the wild card. Ray and Simeon are free agents. How hard is it going to be to be able to re-sign both? How likely has it been? That is the looming question, and you get a lot of mixed results when you when you try to pin down somebody in the front office. Would they love to have both of them back? I really think they would. The question is, with the player, and we'll start with Marcus Simeon, does Marcus want to play shortstop? Is he comfortable playing second base? I think Marcus Simeon and any player for this matter, they need to explore the free agent market. And with Marcus, too, I think years will be a concern, plus the dollars. And the Blue Jays have somebody at shortstop right now, you know, they feel pretty comfortable with in Bo Bichette. The instant impact or spot for Marcus would be second base to jump in here. I just don't know as a franchise historically that they would be able to commit to the years that Marcus might get on the open market. So I think he's the bigger of the two question marks. Robbie Ray, for me, is a guy that the Blue Jays have to have to come back. They have to have this guy come back to be a major player and keep momentum moving forward because he is he's clearly hit it off with people in the organization. Pete Walker and Matt Bushman and and some of the people on the sports science side have retooled and gotten Robbie Ray to this point. And that would be a tremendous, tremendous start to the offseason for the Blue Jays if they were able to ink Robbie Ray back. Well, it should be interesting to watch. Also, it should be interesting to watch the upcoming series between the Rays and Jays, which starts on Monday between these two clubs. Certainly a little more important, I think, Ben, for Toronto than for the Rays right now as they chase one of those two wildcard spots. Thanks for a few minutes on this week in Rays baseball. My pleasure, Neil. Looking forward to that series next week. And that is Toronto Blue Jays broadcaster Ben Wagner, and we certainly appreciate him and all of our guests on the program today. Race pitcher Adam Conley for being on the program. Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times giving us a look ahead to what's to come in the Sunday Times. Tommy Romero, Rays pitching prospect, who has had a terrific season today, and also the head of pro scouting and pro personnel for the Rays, that being Kevin Eibach, to give us an inside look on what it's like to scout in September for potential playoff opponents. If you ever have something you want to hear on the show, all you have to do is tweet me, and you can do so at Neil Solons. On next week's program, well, we'll have the team MVP. We don't know who that is yet, but we will find out during the week because it will be announced, and we'll have that individual on the show coming up on Saturday. Special thanks to my producer, Rob Roman. I am Neil Solons. Rays looking to win a series against the Tigers and move a step closer 
to winning the American League East if they can come up with a victory today. Stay tuned. The pregame show is next on the Rays Baseball Network. Thank you for listening to This Week in Rays Baseball. Breaking ball lifted in the air, way up there, into right field and deep. Judge is going back towards the corner at the wall. Gone! And the Rays jump in front four to one. If you missed any of the show, catch it on archive at RaysBaseball.com slash radio. With first and second, the one-two pitch. Swing and a miss! He struck him out! Keep it right here. The Rays pregame show is next.